All right. Well, I trust you've got your copy of God's Word, so turn with me over to the very first chapter of the last book of your Bible, and of course, that is the book of Revelation. So Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to be at today, and uh, we're probably going to be there next week as well, so uh, I think I'm going to do a two-parter. Is that okay? Spur of the moment. I think I may do two parts. I may be inspired to do all of it today, but we'll see how much grace I have for you. How's that? Uh, Revelation chapter one, we're going to be looking, I love the book of Revelation, uh, several years ago, you know, when everything is said and done and whenever that day comes, when I get to be, I guess, much older than I am now, and I'm no longer, um, leading a church, no longer being a preacher. I think I always want to preach, um, until God calls me home. I might be one of those preachers that You know, it's really stooped over and uh, you're thinking, gosh, what is he doing? I'm trying to, I'm doing what I do for the Lord. But whenever everything is said and done, I would love to be able to say personally, just a goal I have, Steve, that when everything is said and done, I want to be able to say I preach to the whole council of God's word. Um, So a couple of years ago um, at a church I served, I took um, Sunday nights and preached through Revelation. And uh, and it it was a humdinger, I'll tell you that. I took my time, and, and we spent well over a year just going through uh, Revelation, and I really love this book. Do I understand it? No, but I really love this book, and, um, and I hope it's a blessing to you this morning as it is and it has been to me. So as you're turning in your copy of God's Word, whether you've got a printed copy or whether you're using an electronic device, I do hope even if you're at home, uh, turn with me, find a Bible, and turn with me to Revelation Uh, Because the book of Revelation, I think, perhaps maybe more than any other book, reminds us who the central person of the entire book is all about. Not just the Revelation, but the entire Bible. And we're talking about the hero of the Bible, the the theme of the Bible. Uh, The greatest person that we could ever imagine is all about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And his name is? Jesus. Jesus, yeah. So, but not only is this book all about him, it, it tells us so much more. It tells us about the church. And here in Revelation, we see what the Bible has to say to the different churches there in Asia, specifically Asia Minor. So it's a book about not only Jesus, but it, the book of Revelation is about the church. It's also about the future. Uh, everything we need to know about the future is in the book. Do, do we understand it? Uh, probably not. In fact, if I were to divide the congregation up, y'all already look divided between this side and this side. But uh, if we were to, to have like a little conversation about the book of Revelation, this side might believe something about it, whereas this side might believe something else about Revelation. That's how it is when you talk about the end times, but we all know how the story's going to end. In the end, Jesus wins, right? That's all we really need to know. Uh, So there's no really sense to argue till the cows come home. Jesus wins ultimately in the end, but this book is about the future and God opens up the future for us, just gives us a glimpse to, to whet our appetite, if you will. And then it's a book about the judgment. It tells us about the judgments that's going to be poured out upon the face of this earth, you know, about the wrath of God that's going to be poured out. And we see the the trumpet judgments, for example. We see the judgment of the scrolls and all these other judgments. We read about this in the book of Revelation. But preeminently and predominantly, this book is about our Lord. It's about Jesus. He's the central character of the entire book, not only of Revelation, but of the entire Bible He's the main event. He's the main purpose. And there again, his name is Jesus. So I've entitled this message, All Hell, King Jesus. Because if you really want a new you this new year, you've got to be able to bow the knee, bend the knee, and say that Jesus truly is my king. He really is my savior. And he is my 
Lord. Y'all agree with that? Man, I hope you do. I hope you do. So before we dive into the scriptures, I would ask you to bow with me and let's pray. Father, you are sovereign as we sing about this morning. And Lord, not only are you sovereign, you're our king, you're our savior, you're our redeemer, Lord, you're our friend. And Lord, thank you for this time we have to gather as a church in this place. And even for those of us that are watching and gathering online, Lord, we are the church of Jesus Christ. And at this particular day, first day of the week, so many believers just like us are gathering in houses of worship, be it in a physical place or in the comforts of their home because of COVID and stuff like that. Some are meeting under house arrest. Some are meeting uh, in areas where the church is persecuted. Lord, this is the day the church gathers to worship the great I am. So, Lord, as we worship you this morning, um, I pray that you would just speak through me to those that you've gathered here under the sound of my voice. Uh, Lord, may I not do anything or say anything that will just take away from what you want to accomplish in the hearts of those that you brought here today. And, Lord, more than anything, may every single person under the sound of my voice today know just how much they are loved by you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Hey, I love stories, and as I told you last week, Jesus told a lot of stories, and he did so for a particular purpose, and that was to convey a message. It's easy for us to remember a story, and boy, do I have a lot of them. (laughs) I'm going to have a lot on y'all before it's all said and done with, but I love this story, and it took place, hard to believe, Bill, it took place about 200 years ago, not too very far away, uh, over here in North Carolina. There's these these children, uh, brothers and sisters, so one was a 12-year-old boy named Conrad Reed, and he and his brothers and his sisters were playing in a creek. And y'all know what it's like to play in a creek, don't you? The very first church we served had a parsonage, and the parsonage and the church was divided by a creek. And, uh, and I could easily have walked to church, but I tell you what, I drove Trey to church every day because I wanted people to see my car at church, wanted them to know that, hey, the preacher's at church working. But anyway, um, my kids like to play in the creek. Well, these boys like to play in the creek there in Carabas County, North Carolina. And they were doing something that you can imagine children doing. They, they were fishing, but they weren't fishing with the Zebco. And uh, no offense to my boys, the Zebco 33 is the only fishing rod you need. But anyway, they, were, they weren't using a Zebco 33. They were using a bow and arrow. Now, it's hard enough for me to catch a fish with a rod and reel, let alone a cane pole. I can't imagine trying to catch one with a bow and arrow, but that's what they were using. They were using a bow and an arrow, and, and this was 200 years ago, so the bows and arrows back then weren't anything like the bows and arrows of this day and age. And, and as they were hunting, or not hunting, as they were fishing, for fi- hunting for fish, how's that? That makes sense. Uh, Conrad, they, they were just calling him, hey, you need to come over on this side of the creek here. We, we, there's something in the water you need to see. So he went over there, and what he saw was, was not a particular type of fish or anything like that. What he saw was a shiny gold rock. And kids being kids, y'all know what they wanted to do? They wanted to dig up that rock. It was kind of embedded within the sand there, and all the mud and all the water, so it was kind of heavy. But they got that rock out, and they took it all the way back home to where their mom and dad were living. They lived in a log cabin, so you know it was a, several, several years ago. And mom and dad looked at that rock, and they thought, that's a pretty rock. And they've said they're going to use that rock as some, some decoration in their house. Now, they didn't put it up on a mantle over a fireplace. They put it on the front porch. And, and what they used that rock for, that shiny gold rock that they dug out of the creek bed there, what they used that rock for was to keep the front door either closed or open. 
And some of y'all probably have heard stories. Back in the day when they didn't have air conditioning, what do you do? But you open the doors or you crack the windows. So they used that rock to keep the door open or if they were going somewhere, they used that rock and it kept the door what? Closed. You're an above average congregation. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. But one day, Mr. Reed thought, hey, I wonder if that rock is worth something. And he, and he was going to Fayetteville for a business meeting, so he takes this rock with him to a jeweler, and the jeweler looks at it, and, and the jeweler does what jewelers do. He, he begins to flux the metal out of that rock there, and sure enough, it was worth something. Y'all know what that rock, rock was, don't you? It was gold. Yeah, somebody said it for me. It was gold. In fact, it was, he, the jeweler was able to pour it into like a little six-inch brick-shaped formation, and it was solid gold. And the jeweler offered Mr. Reed $3.50 for that gold, which to you and me is nothing. But 200 years ago, that was something. But in today's market, that $3.50 worth of gold would be over $200,000. Oh, Jesus, wouldn't that be wonderful to go to a creek and to pull up something like that and to be, you know, all of a sudden get some money like that. But anyway, I hear that story, and it's a true story about the Reed family. And, and, and I think about this. You think about all, let's just imagine this is that gold rock, which is much, much bigger. But let's just imagine all the times that Reed family walked by that gold rock. All the times they saw how pretty that gold rock was. All the times they touched that gold rock. All the times they picked that rock up because they either wanted the door to stay open or they wanted the door to stay closed. I mean, it just became habit to them to always see that gold rock. It was always with them. But they had no idea how valuable that rock happened to be. And I tell you that story because of this. I think a lot of times we're like that Reed family when it comes to Jesus. Oh, Jesus is in our life and we go to church and we worship Jesus. Um, we sing to him. We, we pray to Jesus, but do we really, really know how valuable Jesus is to us? You know, shepherds uh, came to Bethlehem and they, they looked at this babe of the manger and, and I've often wondered, did Mary allow, Mary and Joseph knew who Jesus was, but would, would they allow somebody as dirty looking as those shepherds that probably haven't bathed in dial or ivory or nothing like that? I mean, they were probably some dirty people, right, physically speaking. You wonder if they allowed those shepherds to hold baby Jesus in their arms. Can y'all picture that? I can and, and as, those ba- as, as, as the shepherds held baby Jesus in their arms, they knew exactly who he was. This is the great I am. This is the savior of the world. How did they know that? The shepherds, the angels told the shepherds that, right? So, so they hold baby Jesus, but you wonder, do they really know that this precious baby that they held in their hands or that they saw there in the manger was truly going to do exactly what was prophesied of him, that he would save people from their sins? And then you, um, you think of Simon Peter, at least I do, when he spent three, three years, three close, close years with Jesus. And uh, before Jesus began his ministry in earnest, Jesus went to the mountains. And there at Caesarea Philippi, he asked Peter this question, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, here's what's going to get kind of fun. I was telling some ladies this morning that I really like what I'm about to show you. Y'all ready? Y'all are anticipating? All right, I'm, I'm really anticipating this, that. Now, what, what that is, you think it looks like a rock formation. You're exactly right. <laughs> that is Caesarea Philippi. 
That's as pretty much as far as you can go in Caesarea Philippi, and that's where Jesus was. And, um, and no offense to those of you over here, I'm only going to use this slide over here. But, um, well, maybe I'm, I'm talented. I can use my little, if you can see my laser pointer, those little things there. Caesarea Philippi used to be called Banyas or Panyas, depending on what translation you're using, either Banyas or Panyas. And if you live in Caesarea Philippi, you worship all sorts of things. One of the things you might have worshipped, y'all see that? I know y'all do over here. Uh, you would worship the god Pan, or you would worship some other false god. And what you would do is you would take your false god and you would put it in those places in the rock that have been honed, hewn out, and, and you would go and you would worship your god there. And there, in Caesarea Philippi, amongst all these other gods, Jesus asked Peter, who was Simon Barjona at the time, he asked him, who do you say that I am? And he says, there, at this place where everybody's worshiping all these false gods, you are the son of the living God. And I think of something really deep. When I think about that, I, I think, wow, <laughs> that's really deep, right? I'm a deep-minded guy here. But then something else that, that I think is pretty cool about this particular area when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am, is it, this. Now, now, that right there, Trey, that's, the, that's where the Jordan River started. Uh, Jordan River starts right there at Mount Hermon. So if you were to keep on going north, uh, Caesarea Philippi is about 20 to 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. So if you were to keep on trucking up the mountains, you come to Mount Hermon and Mount Hermon is snow-capped. So you know what happens to where the Jordan River comes from? All that snow and all that water from the snow comes down through the mountain there and, and the Jordan River starts there. And if you notice that, that little cave-like structure, I know you see that right there, but I'm gonna point it out because I got my little laser here. Makes me feel like I'm pretty cool and hip, right? You see that? All right, here's what's really cool. When Jesus is taking Peter there and he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because man has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. You shall no longer be called Simon, but, but Peter, Petros, and on this rock, <laughs> the gates of hell shall not prevail. And what's interesting about that little cave-like structure is back in Jesus' day and even before Jesus' Jesus's day in that area, that was literally called the gates of Hades. Wow, right? I know you want to say it. Say it with me. Wow. Yeah, so right there, there's the gates of Hades. And when people would go worship Pan and the false gods, oftentimes they would take a sacrifice, and even human sacrifice, children. And they would throw their children within this this cave-like structure that was so deep and there again, earthquakes that just kind of really changed that, what that structure looked like. I can only imagine how sinister years ago that thing happened to be. So there again, when, when Peter says what he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, you wonder, do you really know, Peter, what all goes into what you just said? You really are the son of the living God. And then on that first Palm Sunday, the people wave palm branches and they put their coats down so Jesus and the donkey could go across them and they wave palm branches and they said, blessed to see you comes in the name of the Lord. Do they really understand what they're saying? Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. Do they really know who he was? Do they really know what he could do in their life? So here we are gathered in churches today because it's Sunday. And I'm so glad y'all are here with me today. But when people gather in churches on Sunday and they worship Jesus, there again, do you really know the value of who Jesus is and what he has done for you and what he's willing to do for you? You know, right now we, we look at Jesus and it's almost like as if we're seeing through a glass that's kind of dark and murky. Y'all all seen dirty windows like that, right? 
But one day when we all get to heaven, because we decided, Robert, to trust in Jesus, when we all get to heaven, you know, that murkiness that we see him now is going to be gone, and we'll see him face to face. And we'll see him in a way we never, ever truly have seen him before. So, so I want you to catch a glimpse of Jesus here that we see in this passage. And you're thinking, we're now going to get to the text? Yeah, so, so you, hopefully you found it by now. Revelation chapter 1, and let's pick up at verse 4, and, and let's read through the rest of the chapter. Here's what the Bible says. John, to the seven churches are, that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come. Now, we're going to be, be focusing just on those verses, but I want to read the rest of them to you today. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So this wasn't a vacation for him being on the Isle of Patmos. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then I turned to, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. We will talk about all this next week, okay? So come back. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Y'all remember where John is? He's on the Isle of Patmos. And it wasn't Hilton Head or Myrtle Beach. It's, it's, it's rocky, and he can just hear in all those waves rush or crash up against the rock there. Verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death. And y'all see that? Hades, right? Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. So there's some things I want to share with you as we look at this text that I think just reveals our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, really, really well. And I want to share those with you today and then next Sunday. Uh, so, so come back or, or tune in. So here's the first thing. I want you to realize that this text reminds us that Jesus is our faithful king. Aren't you glad you serve a Lord who is faithful? He's been faithful, faithful to me. So John begins by saying, Jesus is, he say it with me, the faithful Witness. Now, if, if you mark your Bibles, you ought to mark that word witness there. It's the Greek word martus. We get our English word martyr from that word. So a witness is someone who was faithful to a cause. And in this particular instance, faithful to Jesus, even when persecution comes, even when persecution rises, a, a faithful witness for Jesus is someone even willing to lay down their life for the sake of Christ. 
Now, one of the devotionals I'm doing this year, and um, I probably have picked too many devotionals to try to do in addition to my Bible study, is uh, one about, about American, American history. And one of the early leaders of our country was Patrick Henry, who said, what, give me liberty or give me death? So Patrick Henry was saying, hey, I'm willing to lay down my life for the sake of freedom. And so many people, hundreds, thousands of people have been willing to lay down their life for the cause of the gospel, for the cause of Christ. In, in this past century alone, more people have laid down their life for Jesus than at any other time in the history of the world. Every martyr, every martyr that has died for the sake of Christ laid down their life for someone who is worthy. Jesus is worthy, wouldn't you agree? Every martyr that's laid in their life had laid down their life for Jesus. I've often wondered just to be totally transparent to you that if I was ever, if, I, if it ever came up to me where I had to lay down my life for Jesus, would I be strong enough to do so? Because he really is worthy. He really is worthy. The Bible says Jesus is our faithful witness. He's, he, he was so faithful even to the point of death where he went to Calvary's cross. So, so know that Jesus died for us and, and we're completely unworthy. I know we might think highly of ourselves or the person we're sitting beside, but, but we really are unworthy. But Jesus died for me and he died for you. The, the Bible says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for he made him who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, to be sin for us. Because we're, we're unworthy, right? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He is our faithful king. And every step he took to Calvary, he took because he is faithful even to the point of death. And let me just tell you something, friend. He's faithful all the way to the cross for you. And he's faithful all the way to the cross for, for me. He's faithful in every, every circumstance of your life. So let me just get real and personal with you for a few minutes. If you're facing something today or in the weeks to come or the months to come or even this year or in the years to come, there seems some obstacle that seems insurmountable for you. Know that you serve a faithful king who is able. If you got a prayer that seems too difficult to pray, that you think there ain't no way in the world anybody can answer that prayer. Hey, by the way, nobody can answer your prayers other than Jesus, right? I know I've, I've been guilty of praying prayers like, Lord, it's so like, man, let me just, my mind's will tell you now, Lord, let them win this game. They haven't won a game all year. Y'all ever pray stuff like that? Jesus could care one iota who wins a particular game. But let me tell you what, he wants you to win the game of life and you win the game of life by bending your knee to him on this side of eternity. And you win with him. And if you got a prayer that just seems so difficult that nobody can answer it, I know this, Jesus is faithful and he hears and he'll answer. If, if it seems like everybody in the world's abandoned you, even your closest friends and family members, he never will because Jesus is what? He's faithful. He is our faithful king and that's why we give him glory. That's why we give him honor. That's why we come to a place like this and we worship him today in a corporate setting like this. He, he is our faithful king, but not only is he our faithful king, he is our risen king. And we're going to camp out here for just a few more minutes and then we'll, we'll close it up. But look at verse five of your Bible, which is still open. The Bible says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. And then look what the Bible says here. This is to me a very interesting phrase of scripture. The firstborn of are the firstborn from the dead. So the Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I read through scripture, there are certain things that jump off the page that have me go, huh, interesting. This is one of those places uh, because, you know, there's other people that have been raised from the dead other than Jesus. We read in the Old Testament that Elijah 
And, and Elisha raised people from the dead, right? Shake your head. Yeah, okay, just want to make sure you're not falling asleep. Y'all, y'all are with me. So, uh, yeah, we read in the Old Testament that people were raised from the dead. And then we come to the New Testament. And what did Jesus do? Well, he's the God of miracles, right? And, and he raised people from the dead. Uh, he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. The, the widow who had a son that had died over there in Nain, he raised that boy from the dead. But the Bible says Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Oh, how dare I forget? Jesus called out Lazarus, right? Man, how can I forget that? Jesus went up to the tomb of Lazarus. He'd been dead for days. And what does Jesus do? But he says, Lazarus, come forth. Yeah. And the old preacher joke is this. If Jesus had not called out specifically Lazarus, everybody would have come out of the grave. Yeah, think about that. Put that in your slow cooker for a while and ponder that for a bit. But he says, Lazarus, come forth. And, and a dead man comes out walking. But yet the Bible says Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Uh, How so? Does that stump you? It shouldn't because there's a difference. One day, everybody that Elijah and Elisha raised from the dead died again. One day when Jesus, you know, he raised Jairus' daughter, she died again. The widow's son died again. Lazarus died again, but not Jesus. Oh, what what a difference there. Everybody that was resurrected died. They didn't have the resurrected body like Jesus. When he came out of the grave, he left the grave behind. I think Johnny Cash used to sing this song, but I like Ricky Skaggs' daughter's version better. Ain't no grave going to keep his body down. You ought to Google that and look it up. That'll bless your heart. Ain't no grave can keep Jesus' body down. He's the firstborn from the dead. So if he's the first, guess what? That means he's going to come after him. You're looking at somebody. I'm going to be resurrected one day. If he doesn't come back to rapture his church, I'm going to have a resurrected body too one day, just like Jesus. So if you know Jesus as your Savior, and if he's living in your heart, he promises eternal resurrection life for all who believe. Y'all with me? And I want to tell you this story here. A lady by the name of Fanny Galloway had gotten out of her car one day uh, to get her mail. So she drove to the end of her driveway, I guess, and she crossed this highway that she lived on, kind of like in the country, to get her mail. Mailbox on the side of the road. And as she was walking to get her mail that day, a 17-year-old boy driving a pickup truck way too fast hit her. And instantly, Fanny Galloway was killed. Instantly. Didn't see the truck coming. He didn't see her crossing the street, you know, going over 70 miles an hour and 40 miles on. He didn't have time to stop. He didn't have time to swerve. He just hit her, and instantly Fanny went into eternity. In the car was Fanny's husband, Mr. Herbert. And, uh, and Herbert saw it all, they thought. Family was wondering if he saw it all. You see, Herbert struggled with Parkinson's disease. And with all the medicine he was taking, the family really didn't know how much he saw or how much he comprehended. So the family did what families do. They called the preacher to come over. And they, they told the preacher, we don't know how much daddy saw, we don't know how much he understands, but can you just talk to him and... Just let her know that, that mama was killed and that, you know, she's in heaven now. And the preacher's like, well, they didn't tell us this in seminary. How do, I, how, do I, how do I even do this? So he just got down on his knee and Mr. Herbert could hardly communicate because of the medicine and Parkinson's. And he says, Mr. Herbert, y'all know how you talk to some people you, that kind of are hard of hearing. <laughs> Tina does it to me every now and then. She gets right in my face and she's yelling at me. See, Mr. Herbert... Miss Fanny died. Mr. Herbert, she, she's, she's with Jesus. 
She's in heaven now. And the reason that was so hard for this pastor to say was they've been together for 60 years. And not only that, she was um, his main caretaker. You know, she was taking care of her husband. So here he is telling Mr. Herbert that your beloved has, has died. And it was unexpected and it was tragic. And he says, Brother Herbert, she's with Jesus. Do, do you understand? And all Mr. Herbert could do was to let a little tear come from his eye and splatter on the floor. And then he kind of shook his head in the affirmative that, that he knew. I say that with you and I close with that story today because of this. What hope could somebody like Mr. Herbert have if it were not for Jesus? What hope would you have if it were not for Jesus? Can I tell you, there, we would have no hope. If it wasn't for Jesus who went to the cross for you, he is our risen Savior. And because he's a risen Savior, there's hope on the way to every cemetery we go to. Because he's a risen Savior, because Jesus is risen, there's victory on the the side that we call the valley of death. Because Jesus is risen, we can have hope in a hopeless, hard, and sometimes very, very cold and cruel world. He is our risen king. He's the firstborn from the dead. The Bible says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. But folks, he's our faithful king and he is our risen king and we give him praise and glory today. Amen. Let me ask you to bow your head and we'll close. Father God, thank you so very much for reminding us today from your word. Man, we'll continue it next week that you are our faithful king, you are our risen king. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today that's never got right with you, that before this day is over, before this service is over, before they go home, they'll see me, Trey, Robert. They'll see somebody here in leadership and they'll just say, hey, I wanna make sure that when it comes to my salvation, I'm secure that I am firm, that I know where I'm going. Still with every head bowed and every eye closed, folks, you got to know where you're going. Everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere, and it's either going to be in heaven or it's going to be in hell. May I tell you something? Jesus wants every single one of you to be in heaven with him. He's prepared heaven for you. You think you got a slice of heaven now? You ain't seen nothing yet. And he wants you to be there with him. But it begins with their relationship. It begins with their conversion. He's done all he can for you. Will you take that first step for him? Father, um, don't really know what you'll do today as a result of this message, as a result of our worship of you. But Father God, if there's decisions that need to be made, be they public or private, as we stand and sing our closing song, Lord, I pray, I pray in Jesus' name that people will get right with you, that they'll know where they're going to spend eternity. And Father God, I pray that where they spend eternity is where I plan on spending eternity. And that's in a place called heaven, a place that you prepare for people that make you their Lord and their King. Lord, we say to you today, all hail King Jesus. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you.